Welcome to Birdsong. I'm your host, Kayuta Kiora, and in this week's episode, we have Thomas Sokowitz joining us. Thomas has an interesting bio, and as he puts it, his first memory was writing down a ray of plasma light from a star into this realm when he was born. His first notable initiation was when he was seven or eight years old via Carlos Castaneda's A Fire From Within, and this led him to the study of nature and various esoteric lineages via books on Buddhism, music, Hinduism, alchemy, astrology, shamanism, science, occultism, and many others. After high school, he went through a harder life initiated by the streets of Detroit and the underground festival culture, and from there, he ended up spending significant time in hermitage for meditation, retreat, initiation with teachers, elders, in particular through the Red Road, and other branches of self-work. In February 2020, this year, he had his third major near-death experience, which we talk about in this show, alongside many other fascinating themes as we springboard from there such as Celtic Druidic Shamanism, Entheogens, the Hidden Serpents of Wisdom, our Plasma Body Evolution into the Aquarian Age, we touch on Atlantis, we unpack this concept of the 13th Dimensional Memory Complex, and a lot of other esoteric threads woven throughout the heart of our dialogue, and somehow Thomas has a way of tying this all in together in a very articulate way so that we can gain an understanding of where we are and where we are headed. And I really enjoyed this dialogue, and I really trust that there's going to be some gold in this one if you are tuning in. So all the links and resources for this episode can be found over at medicinepath.net slash birdsong. I won't keep you waiting. Let's get straight into it. Thanks for being here, and I trust you'll find value in our dialogue to carry with you on your own path forward. Thanks for being here with me today, and I'm really looking forward to exploring many of these interesting topics that you have presented me with. But before that, as I mentioned to you, I would love to invite you to share something in relation to opening up our space together, which is essentially a space for intentional dialogue and a space where we can open up a small portal in time for us to recognize or remember what it means to honor the sacred. So if there are any words or offerings that you might typically make when opening up ritualistic or ceremonial or sacred space, the invitation is certainly here to share something from the heart in relation to this greater theme of honoring the sacred. Mm, Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, on that note, I I just always want to honor, um, first of all, you for, for having me on here in this space and uh audience and and just the the whole cultivation that that you're working with and everything that's brought me you here into this moment for for us to be able to share because they you know whatever situations in our life have have kind of drawn this together i can only imagine the 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 beautiful things that have kind of culminated to to you coming here in front of me in this moment so i want to honor that first and foremost and um anybody out there who is is listening to to this like thank you so much for sharing in this sacred space for us especially in this uh moment in the world uh that we have going on it's uh it's very you know our time is very interesting in the moments that we spend with other people and other spaces to cultivate energy are very um very important so thanks to anyone who's listening to this as well and then I just want to really honor 
you know, the earth, all my personal guides, uh, the four directions. I would like to call in any and all benevolent beings that want to support us, that maybe want to come through any of us. Would also like to call in anybody that is on any timeline that's going to end up listening to this message to also to be present in, connect in so that uh, the things that we share can be things that are personally relevant to you and the medicine that you need at this moment in your life. And may this transition in, in transmission ripple out into the collective in a way that is just the exact perfect thing that, that needs to be shared through this transmission. Aho. Aho to that, Thomas. A lovely way to open up our dialogue together. And as I was just saying to you before we started this conversation formally, I love the way that you articulate yourself and I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the, these topics, mate. And by the looks of things, you have quite an interesting story to share. And one of the things that caught my attention in particular was that you were involved in an accident at the start of CV-19, a car accident. And afterwards, you received a healing from a woman known as Sarah or Sarah Eagle Woman from a line of Apache and Toltec healers. And from what I remember, she ended up doing a soul grid reconstruction on you slash for you, which then led to the awakening or the reawakening of certain spiritual gifts, which includes what you articulate or reference as the 13 collectives of the Phoenix and a remembrance of your connection to this particular Celtic Druid lineage. And I would love for you to unpack some of this to build some context not only for me, but also for our listeners as well. So perhaps somewhere to start might be giving us a bit of a, a bit of your story leading up to the accident or before the accident, and then this shift into this new level of spiritual awareness with this soul grid reconstruction and what that entailed. And then we can start to transition into some of these other themes. Totally. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I, before this, before this, this experience that you're speaking of uh, in, in February, um, I did have quite an extensive background into into spirituality. Still, you know, all sorts of different esoteric lineages and in, in study, and you know, even many different uh, lifetimes and past lifetimes and, and, and things of that nature. However, um, you know, previous to this accident, I was extremely focused on um, human design, on astrology, on, um, and, and also what I call um, immersive experience design. I was essentially uh, working on taking uh, and creating kind of like a, an interactive live production of um, electronic music and visuals and, and things of that nature, because I do have uh, experience in, in all those areas and things like that. Mm, I did say that on your website. Yeah. And so when this accident, uh, came through very interesting sets of like synchronicities and, and interesting details around the accident itself, which I, I won't get into very, all very like synchro mystical, you know, is, is the kind of 
term that I like to use. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Um, I think the first time I heard that was uh, maybe Santos Bonacci or something like that. Synchromysticism, I think we uh, call it, or syncretism is what he calls it. But anyway, uh, so yeah, went through this this accident, and um, you know, it, it was definitely like a near death experience. There wasn't like any serious injury, but um, definitely like we are really lucky to be alive uh, in the sense of like, you know, a lot of, a lot of very interesting things in even the moment of the accident itself. It was very, I was like staring the, my, the driver in the eye as we like came to the screeching halt is very, very like powerful kind of like moment. And we both were uh, extremely aware that there was like spiritual angelic forces that, that kind of like protected the event. Um, and a day or so later, uh, Sarah Eagle woman, who you mentioned, uh, she had already kind of been scheduled to, to come in and do uh, not only some, some grid work uh, in the area, some uh, Olympias on the, some, some buildings, and also personal sessions for people that, that I was connected to. Um, and she did my session and essentially the way that she had put it to me is that due to my extreme sensitivity as, as a young child, you know, because certain, certain aspects of these gifts, I guess you could say, have always been there, but they have also uh, at this point like evolved um, immensely in a number of ways. Uh, but in that state as a child, which I do remember now, thankfully, because of some of the, the work that we did together, mm. it's extremely sensitive ch child psycho-spiritually and uh, essentially started to collect uh, trauma in programming, conditioning, things of this nature from people in my environment or people I would interact with uh, because I wasn't aware that I had the gifts. And so it's just kind of like uh, because this is just the way that my system operates. It was just something that was happening uh, and I had no conceptual understanding of what was going on. And so she wiped that all clear, essentially, uh, bringing my energy body back to kind of like a, a zero state, almost like, you know, a childlike state again, which was, which was very interesting in, in many senses. Um, but when all of that stuff cleared out, uh, it took maybe almost even like a, a full month of a lot of mostly alone time to really even kind of like gain my bearings in terms of like who I was and what was going on because so much that I had accumulated and that was motivating me in a lot of different ways wasn't even my own. It was just things that I had collected along the way um, that had belonged to friends or loved ones or, or other people. Mm. And um, so there were a lot of similarities, I guess I would say, or there are a lot of similarities in terms of my life and the things that I'm into and, and things that I'm doing, but the, also the direction is, is vastly different in that um, the systems that I was using, human design, uh, astrology, uh, a lot of different systems that I had studied have now taken on a sort of relationship as 
is it's kind of like a like a crystal or something right it, it's like uh where at one time it was something that created my entire worldview and 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 energy filtered through these systems now they become more like something that i'm like oh okay like this this stone has a specific purpose and i use it for something i can pick it up for a couple minutes and put it away um where the the overall scope of what i've been interacting with is now much more um expanded in sort of real time and updating in in in, in moment to moment or day by day and in all of these different things so uh and one of the first things that that came through was that the uh, the experience that I was that was developing actually now wanted to become much more organic and much more uh, even, I guess I would say, rooted in earth uh, level ceremony, uh, medicine type of ceremony rather than more, uh, I guess I would say, theatrical in, in certain senses. Mm. So that's been a big part of, of reintegration and uh, immediately after this event i was sent uh to utilize these gifts that i had been developing in not only doing uh work on individuals okay because like i said so this ability to kind of dive into somebody's energy body or uh empathically psychically tune into their system um i this also includes a, a sort of ability to dive into their energy body and find trauma programming conditioning on this or multiple lifetimes and extract it and transmute it okay mm -hmm. where uh the best way i can describe this is like um is actually related to how i've been shown that it works in the grid right because this was a new part that nothing that I had ever really done anything like this before, where that same type of work with another individual, they were, they were now immediately sending me to different places on the earth, right? Mm. And the way that they're essentially showing it to me is that like, if you ever heard of this word, it's called ectoplasm, right? It's, it's kind of a, they use it in like ghost busters or like, uh, movies about, or they, when they talk about ghosts and things. And so I know that initially is kind of funny, but it's the idea that like a ghost, uh, is made out of a substance, right? And this substance is called ectoplasm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when they're sending me these different places on the grid, there's literally, uh, playing out in my, in my psycho, uh, in my third eye, in my, in my energy body, there's literally like battles playing out that had happened in specific sites in the earth. And they're showing me it in real time as if I was, as if it was still happening in this moment. Mm -hmm. And the, just like we, as a person, you know, via our upbringing and, and situations that happen, get trauma, and in things like that in our body the same thing happens with the earth okay when there are battles wars very traumatic events and things if if nothing gets done to these places in the earth a lot of a lot of times there's this actual trauma from the events that just stays anchored um 
Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, as above, so below. As within, totally. so without. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it from exactly. that lens of perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so essentially what goes on is that these, these stuck things within our body or uh, like, let's say the earth grid are kind of like this ectoplasm. It's kind of like dead light in a way or like uh, dense kind of almost like um, it's not dead as in like, um, you know, for forever dead, but it's kind of like stuck and crystallized and sort of uh, stagnant, right? Mm -hmm. It's like not flowing in the, in a proper motion. It's kind of like a scab on your skin or, or, or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so what they're having me do is essentially reorganize this and transmute this into free flowing plasma that is actually something that is the interesting thing about this state, though, um, and this relates to this, uh, you know, the, the Phoenix Collective that, that you had asked me about. Mm. So the original energy for, for the auric field, right, that, that we have when we, uh, let's say we're born, before we're receiving the programming, the trauma and conditioning, uh, is, is living plasma, but it's, it's not actually the same as the the plasma that goes through this process of going under uh of growing through trauma and in these things that happen to us it actually allows an evolution to the energy to happen to go through those states where going through that transmutation process actually brings it into an even higher dimensional uh, frequency if the the proper work is done to it if uh, if that sort of makes sense hmm. yeah that's really really interesting man so when you're talking about these 13 collectives of the phoenix is this related to what you what i'd also seen you reference as the 13th dimensional memory complex what's the link here yeah so the way the the best way i can explain this is that um a, so most people that may have heard this term before, collective memory complex, this is a term that comes from uh, at least the first time I had ever heard of it was with the material called the raw law of one material. Okay, is a is a book uh, and and a bunch of audios. A lot of there's even groups around uh, the states and different places. People uh, come together to talk about this this material, but it's essentially a channeled material from what's known as a collective memory complex. And the idea of a collective memory complex is that uh, a species, for example, right, like all of, all of the experiences that a species has uh, actually get stored in a sort of, uh, you know, essentially would get stored in the DNA material and a mass, just like we have a brain, right? The species itself has a collective memory complex that stores and evolves over time, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could think of it like uh, the internet for humans or internet for the species, or we, we, you know, we could just reference something like Rupert Sheldrake's work with, with morphic resonance or morphic fields. Totally. Morphogenetic field, 100%. Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad that you brought that to uh, my attention because uh, that that word perfectly encompasses uh, a lot of what I'm uh, what I'm speaking about. And so the, there's a morphogenetic field for for the human species. Okay, now these types of morphogenetic fields keep on stacking and sort of transcending and including as we go out. And it's it's not so much hierarchical as it is heterarchical, although there is also some inherent hierarchy that it works into it as well. Um, but let's, so now if we look at the collective memory complex of humanity, there's also collective memory complexes of planets, of stars, of solar systems, of galaxies, of universes, okay? So these collective complexes keep on growing uh, exponentially, okay? And essentially what has been shared to me about the, the, the collective memory complex of the 13 dimensional Phoenix is that uh, there are many, many uh, galaxies and universes and all of the species contained within these galaxies and universes, uh, a lot of which some of them don't even have biological life forms. They can be, uh, you know, interdimensional beings. And these beings of many different universes have came together into a sort of treaty, let's say, or a, uh, let's call it like a, a covenant or an agreement. And they've come together uh, in this agreement through our genetic system on this planet, through humans' genetic system. And they've done this because there's a unique way that our genetic system operates in a way that it has meant to or is meant to access a very multidimensional nature, right? Uh, in, in a certain manner, our body is a microcosm to this universe. And because of that aspect to our biological vehicles, it gives us the ability to actually access multiple timelines, multiple spaces, multiple dimensions and universes in a very unique way. And so essentially all of these collective memory complexes have come together to assist in our genetic evolution and the genetic evolution of this planet in order for all of these different species and memory complexes to have a place where they can come together and unify and share different experiences and actually uh, share in a much, much larger evolution that's going on in multiple universes and various dimensions and timelines. Mm, wow. Okay. There's a couple of questions here I got for you. Firstly, yeah. why the Phoenix? Why the name Phoenix? Why is that linked into this? Why 13 dimensions? And thirdly, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are when it comes to these perhaps inherent capacities that we have as human beings to explore 
these realities or to explore these states of consciousness. And if you think that it is something that is inherent to all human beings and that we have gained this cloud of conditioning over us through all of the trauma, all of the patterns, the programs that we experience from an early age, even intergenerationally, or if this is something that is gifted to certain individuals or can this be cultivated through certain practices and techniques what's your thoughts on this so let's see where where do i start with that um what was the the first question why phoenix and why 13 dimensions so the phoenix the reason that the the word phoenix is chosen in in this sense is because when we get to the layer of uh, building universes in, in galaxies and things of that nature, uh, the beings that are operating on the level of, let's almost say kind of like dreaming universes into existence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they have these very kind of large plasma bodies, right? Like even if you've seen a picture of a galaxy or a nebula or something like this, there's a sort of energy, a plasma energy that is at work when it's, it's swirling around and it's moving through these different areas and literally being the substance that allows for the creation of these different things to, to take place. Mm. And so this, uh, in one sense, is very much like a dragon phoenix, right? Like it does have uh, some sort of connection to uh, what are called seraphim, okay? Uh, the, you can look into material like the, uh, the Sophia Code, right? And all these things are, are connected and they're related to uh, similar vibratory fields. And... The other reason that the phoenix is chosen is because a major part in this evolution being able to happen through our genetic systems has to do with the fact that so many of the so many of the so many people on this planet right now are operating based around Phoenician languages. Okay, so the English or Anglish or Angelish language, okay, actually originally was handed down and created by a group known as the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians, of course, the word Phoenician comes from the word Phoenix. And there actually was an intention in the creation of this language to, because the way that language works, right, is language is essentially a software program within our uh, hardware, let's say, our biological hardware, okay? So languages actually play a very, very large part in the creation of the reality in which we live. It's literally like our energy body spins through the shape of the language and then vibrationally is rippling out and creating or co-creating the reality that we are part of. It's sort of 
spins, the language sort of spins just like a, a program does on a hard drive or disk drive. And it spins within our chakra systems and our bodies. And it's affecting the way that the reality uh, gets perceived or interacted with. Now, this language was very limiting to a lot of the aspects of the different systems that were already in place on this earth, right? It's, it, but it was also created in a way where the limitation was meant to, over time, sort of strengthen the abilities and sort of pressurize the energy in kind of like an alchemical fashion so that once once we as humanity and certain beings no longer fit within the framework, once, once the energy could no longer be contained within the system, that it would sort of explode and burst through and rise up like a phoenix, right? And the way that this happens has a lot to do with synchronizing the heart and the mind, okay? So literally being able to uh, bring the heart into a state of what's known as coherence, right? And through this heart coherence, we actually realize that there is many, many more languages uh, or even like a direct cognition that comes to be present where we can interact with other individuals, humans, uh, plants, animals, all these different things in not only a psychic capacity, an empathic capacity, but there are also many different languages that are possible and present. Hmm. So let's, let's get back onto the number 13 in a second. But since we're talking about plasma, I've heard you talk about the plasma body evolution. And I feel as though this ties into your knowledge when it comes to Aquarian age astrology or cosmology. And I'm wondering if there is a succinct, succinct way for us to tie some of this in because from, from this astrological perspective, th this is the direction that we're heading into the Aquarian age. So I'm wondering if you can deconstruct these terms for us to a greater degree. And I'm also wondering how you think people can best prepare how we can best prepare ourselves as we head into what astrology tells us is a new age that we that we are transitioning into totally yeah um so aquarius is known as the water bearer okay and interestingly enough it is the only zodiac sign that has a human as the zodiac symbol right the so the zodiac literally comes from the word zoo, which has to do with uh, the anthropomorphization or the different animals that are present in the, the constellations and in, in the zodiac and things like that. And of course, Aquarius is the only one that's, uh, you know, some people call humans animals, um, in which a lot of senses we are. And we are also something uh, quite a bit different and uh, sort of uh, more evolved in certain ways, I guess you would say. Uh, I, I don't want to like get into some sort of disagreement or altercation about like 
you know, putting us on a higher or lower level or, or anything like that. But like in, a, in different ways, our biological systems have certain other capabilities. And I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to go down that whole sure, sure. hole anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, essentially, there is a certain level of culmination of many species, not just animals, uh, but also many different interdimensional species that are coming together within, uh, within the, the human body. And so really, the Aquarian age, so Aquarius is also ruled by the planet Uranus, okay? Uranus is uh, synonymous with electricity, is synonymous with ascension. Uh, Aquarius and Uranus are, are synonymous with the idea of aliens, right? Um, and so all these different sort of uh, ideas are very Aquarian in nature. And so what else is really interesting, though, is Aquarius, although the picture is the water bearer, Aquarius is an air sign. It's not a water sign, right? Which always, when I initially found out astrology, I was kind of like, why is it the water bearer? If it's an air sign, it just kind of like always sort of messed with me mm. uh, a little bit on a mental level. When, what I've now realized is that the water is actually more of a plasma than it is a water. It's, a, it, of course, it's, it's actually, it's still water. But the thing is about water is water is actually, uh, water is a very interesting substance in that there's a lot of things about water that science cannot fully explain, okay? And this is admittedly so if you get into a lot of like, uh, physics and quantum physics and different things. You can look into like uh, Emoto's work on water and, and things of that nature. Absolutely. But um, th so there's this interesting aspect of bringing a an electrical type of frequency like Uranus, right? This, this ascension electricity type of energy uh, into, into the idea of water and air in a way where this sort of like, uh, it's like water that's more um, flowing with electricity in it, right? So this is very much so like hydrogen or you know something that, that suns are made out of or something that uh, you could find a mass at the center of a galaxy, right? Mm. But this is still very much so in a lot of ways like a liquid, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And then you can go back to the human body and see that we have blood plasma, right? And now I've actually, I've had people argue with me before. They're like, well, blood plasma is so much different than the plasma that's up in the cosmos or whatever. Is like, yes and no. Like mm. if you're not looking at through the lens of the as bolts above, so below type of phenomena, then yes, there are a lot of differences. But now if we start to change the vibrational field of the sun uh, in, in its frequencies changing as we go through different uh, spaces in, in the galaxy, right? Because that's part of what's going on right now too. Uh, you know, since 2012, we've been transitioning to below the, below the galactic equator to uh, above the galactic equator, right? So of course, that's going to change 
a lot of stuff, and this is science, stuff science will admit too, right? We're, we're in a, um, what's called is a solar minimum, right? So this is affecting the magnetic fields around uh, the planet and around the sun. There's lots of changes going on uh, on a cosmic level. And these changes affect our DNA. They affect our nervous systems. They affect our blood and, and all of these different things. So really what's happening at this point is the sort of culmination of a lot of different layers and pieces uh, that are leading up to kind of uh, a peak state in human evolution, right? And in this sense, this is why you could see uh, see the water bearer as being the human, right? It's like we're finally hitting some sort of uh, pinnacle in the evolution of the zodiac, right? Hmm. Hmm. So I was just going to jump in here and say you're touching on this peak state, but is it not necessarily a peak state that we haven't been at before? Taking into account the cyclical nature of all things and going back to these notions of the Atlanteans or the Lemurians, which people speak of with their high states of consciousness, are we coming to a place where we are revisiting these states of consciousness we can have access to? Sure. Um, you know, in, in certain senses, there is always going to be a return, right? And certain abilities that have been had before by different beings on this planet uh, are, are definitely a return, right? Mm, it's more of a spiral and though. That's the sense I'm getting at. It's a, it's a returning, but it's also expanding to something exactly. different. Right, and, and that's what's always important to, to really recognize is, is the spiral within all of this, within all of this as well, because that, that spiral really has so much to do with uh, in a lot of ways, like the the evolutionary kind of like uh, Christic force, you could say, or uh, some may attribute it to like Gaia Sophia and, and this type of energy that's always, uh, although we're spinning, we're always kind of ascending to some higher level too and transcending and including in one way or another. Mm, so... To wrap this up, we I'm getting the sense that, okay, we're going through all these astrological, cosmological changes and our physical vessel is, is also going through an evolution to match that as above, so below. So what is it that we can do to prepare ourselves for this plasma body evolution that we are transitioning into and through? Yeah, sure. I love bringing it down to the, uh, you know, the more like direct and, and, practical aspects of, of everything, you know, the main, literally the main thing that I'm shown on a daily level to, to work on is going into our systems and in essentially as, you know, one might say in the spiritual crowd, uh, doing the work, right? Uh, we all have we all have stuff from from our families, from our childhoods, from past lives, from lovers, and all of these different things that that kind of culminate in our system. And the more that we get into to actually doing that work and and facing the the pains and the traumas and uh, you know not just not just pushing through them, but actually like getting into the the meat of the substance in our energy bodies and 
allowing that allowing our systems to come to more of a a neutral state so this energy can continue to to flow freely is one of the main things that we can do and uh definitely in this process uh nature has just been you know something that's been shown to me as absolutely essential on so many levels whether that's you know going out and grounding and earthing uh getting clean water uh as as much as we can in in this day and age uh going out to different points that we feel called to uh on the earth whether that be you know just someplace beautiful or a lake or a stream or a vortex depending on how sensitive you are and different energies uh going out and getting sunlight just being in nature and really connecting with these different things in nature is something that i've seen to be hugely important because it's essentially in those different types of places that we get the frequencies and the updates whether it's through plants whether it's through uh just direct sunlight whether it's through the air any of these different things are vastly important to ensuring that our systems get the updates really that they need to get mm, so the way that i'm thinking about it is we're doing the work and we're essentially allowing ourselves to become as the shamans of old might articulate as a hollow bone or a clear vessel an empty chalice so that the energies from nature can come through us with clarity and to wrap it all back into this question that i asked you in the beginning but i didn't articulate it very well it was surrounding this notion that humans have been endowed with these interesting capacities for consciousness exploration and viewing all of these amazing states of reality on a intergalactic level. So if we are doing this work and as we are going into this new stage of human evolution, planetary evolution, to answer my own question, I think I would say that it's not necessarily exclusive. It's inclusive to all humans if we are willing to do the work and as we go through this organic natural evolution as a species. 100%. And something that I feel called to, to share about on that and that notion too is, you know, a big part, it, it, it's not just staying clear, although that is, that is a huge part of that. I also want to say too, there's when we really get to a certain level of clarity, uh, at least my experience, and, and it feels to be true with others, there is something truly kind of magical that starts to happen, right? When, when, when there's a certain level of clearing uh, that gets done, there is something very like unique and personal uh, that starts to happen for individuals in uh, whether that be messages that come in, whether that be uh, certain callings that, that, that come in and really this allows us that this starts to come in through being able to tap into a certain frequency within and, and this is also partially related to what i what i was talking about with aquarius too is you know there's there's this kind of frequency that we could just call like a bliss right and i don't necessarily mean like bliss is in some sort of uh you know disconnected kind of like out there uh overwhelmed with with pleasure 
something in that effect, although that can be part of it, right? Mm -hmm. What this is really more so like a, a frequency where there's a clear, a certain level of clearing that takes place where we've kind of like reached a certain interesting kind of like inner source frequency in a way, right? And this frequency essentially empowers our inner magician or our inner shaman or our inner uh, goddess or, you know, how, whatever terms that we want to use. And is this frequency that really allows us to kind of almost like be at play with our reality, be at play with the universe, but in a way that it is with the experience and wisdom of an adult. So it's, it's childlike in, instead of childish. Hmm. Yeah, I love that articulation. Another word that came to my mind was the very word that Eliade used in his very landmark book, uh, Shamanic Techniques, uh, techniques of Ecstasy. So ecstasy could be another word that we might put in there. And I totally feel you on that as well. It's certainly not a, a lost in the clouds type of feeling. It's a very grounded grounded type of feeling. And to, to wrap up everything that we're talking about, because I asked it in the beginning, and some listeners might be hanging on, waiting for you to answer that question. Is it of how much relevance do we want to place on this number 13? I'm just, I'm curious about why 13 dimensions. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I, I keep spacing on it, I, I think as well. So the 13 is related to that uh, actually in the Zodiac wheel and actually um it, there's a, a really amazing friend of mine. Her, her name is Allison Engel, and you can look her up on uh, Facebook. She recently wrote a book about this. Um, I believe it's called uh, Intrinsically Unequivocally Human. Um, and and I've, if I messed that up, it, it's, it's, that's part of the title. And it's like the quantum psychology of depth, depth astrology. Uh, it's an amazing book, but essentially uh, each one of the 12 uh, signs of the zodiac is a dimension, okay? So we have one through 12 being the 12 dimensions, okay? And then the 13 is, is the, the creator, the, the individual, right? And so this template isn't just true uh, in, in our specific, uh, let's say, solar system, right? This idea of 13 dimensions actually happens all the way up to the universal level. And there is a certain sort of, again, a transcending and including as we digest different layers of the trauma and the programming conditioning we have in our systems. And as that plasma becomes more and more free flowing in our energy, energy body, there's a certain sort of threshold that's reached as we tap into that sort of bliss frequency as a co-creator. And that has to do with the 13th dimension, which puts the individual in the driver's seat as a co-creator and thus tapping them into a place that's actually synonymous uh, on an individual, on a micro scale of, of these universal creator beings. Now, that being said, there's also simultaneously an overall 
evolution that happens where we still go through an evolutionary process up to that level, right? So it's that, that's again, the micro and macro. And I do also wanna say that there are dimensions beyond this, but they have to do with things that are outside of the, the, the universal matrix. And they are things that I haven't found to be that relevant in, in chatting about, but specifically the 13 dimensional collective of the Phoenix is one that is involved in the direct uh, co-creative evolution with our human species and is playing a big part in this transition that we are going through into the Aquarian age. Hmm. Does that, does that put it, it does. in perspective? It, it does. I'm trying cool. to conceptualize where I want to take the conversation next if I want to keep going down that path because I feel like there's still so much to unpack there and we could keep deepening into it. Actually, what I, what I would love to do, maybe we can save that for another conversation at another time, but I would love to yeah. talk about Celtic Druidic shamanism. So I cannot, awesome. I do not know how to articulate it and perhaps you can articulate it. The Tuatha Di Danan? Day Danan. Okay. So it's very close. Tuatha Day Danan. Mm. And uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I have a lot of Celtic background in, in my ancestry. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting as a, as a kid growing up, uh, I, I knew very little about what I would say, what I would just call like indigenous Celtic, Scottish, Irish, uh, that area of the globe. I, I, you know, I, I looked in books and I read things, you know, heard things at school and, uh, things of this nature, but a lot of it even as a kid felt very in a lot of ways inauthentic to me or like uh, that there was something missing or something hidden. And as I got older and looked into it more and more, uh, I found this to be very true. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of different, uh, I guess you would say ethnicities or different indigenous peoples around the world uh, have had their traditions and information kind of like lost or, uh, you know, destroyed even. And what was interesting is I found that the Celtic traditions were actually some of them the worst in the sense of like how much had been uh, kind of either lost or, or covered up or, or hidden or something like that, mm -hmm. which as I was growing up was, was always kind of like uh, heartaching for me in a lot of different ways because uh, it was something that was important uh, in my family in the sense that my grandmother had traced our lineage back very, very far. And so this was something, you know, that was very interesting to me. And uh, I was always extremely connected to my grandmother growing up of, of all my grandparents. And, uh, you know, I, I just always felt this intense calling to kind of connect to my roots in terms of spirituality and things of this nature, but just didn't really have a way to, like I, I would get books on Druidism and things like that. Like I didn't even really like buy them. I would just like pick them up and flip through them. And at least the ones that I found just didn't really have much that I felt super resonant with, I, mm -hmm. I guess you would say. Um, it, it just still felt somehow like lacking 
uh, a lot of meat towards certain aspects of authenticity, at least for me. And after this experience uh, that, I, that I recently had in February, when I arrived in the, the Asheville area, I literally, I had a druid spirit uh, start coming to me and interacting with me and teaching me directly. And as I, uh, as I felt into, you know, why this was happening and conversed with this being, uh, it was sharing with me because that on in multiple different lifetimes in different occasions, I had had connections to these lineages and I had done this work before and that it was actually like very intentional and very specific in that I was not able to connect with different levels of it on, up to this point because the very interesting thing about uh, Druid teachings and in, in teachings that come from this area of the, the world is almost everything was not written down by these people, right? And, and, and that was actually done very intentionally. And I was told that it was done intentionally because there is a certain sort of frequency or an energetic transmission that literally comes from speaking, right? And even in different, uh, you know, in the Kato traditions in, in South America, in uh, the bone, uh, in Tibetan traditions, in, in India and in Tibet, there's this idea of an oral transmission, right? And I didn't even you know, up until recently, I didn't even have a conceptualization of that as a thing in, in, in Druid lineages. I'd heard of oral transmissions and I've been part of them, but I had no connection to them uh, with my own background. And so they shared with me that a lot, so many of these different teachings that I was interested in were intentionally not written down because A, because they can be manipulated, B, because they no longer may be relevant, right? Because literally we are inside of a, like a living, breathing thing that's always changing, is always updating, is always evolving. And so in certain senses to have something written down while you can write things in a way where you can experience them multidimensionally, like the Emerald Tablets of Thoth or something like that, um, there's still something that's going to inherently be lost by not being able to be updated in a moment to moment fashion and get that sort of direct transmission. And so this has been a huge part of, of my process also since, um, you know, since this uh, experience in February is going out into this land here where I'm at in Asheville in North Carolina which also has tons of, uh, tons of Celtic background, it has tons of uh, Druid connection here, um, and also connections to Atlantis as well. And what's interesting about this is also that, um, you know, you, you had said before the show that you may be interested in getting into this idea of the return of the serpents of wisdom. And in many different cultures around the world, when you get to the roots of, you know, I, I studied with a Caro elder in, in, um, in the Andes in Peru, and uh, I've talked to Mexicas in Mexico and uh, other elders in, from Colombia. 
And when you get back into more of these oral traditions of history, there is, there's literally handed down from people to people memory of coming from Atlantis, right? Of uh, maybe not necessarily calling it Atlantis, uh, although uh, now that it's more out in kind of like the social, uh, I guess you would say the social spheres and things like that, many of them will refer to it as Atlantis. Just like people have adopted the word shamanism for a lot of these nature-based wisdom traditions, earth-based cultures. Yeah. And there is, um, you know, there, there is stories that have been handed down generation to generation talking about a flood and then leaving an island and coming to these different places, whether it be Mexico or whether it be Peru or whether it be uh, for the Celtic, it was actually Scotland itself. My, my ancestors, there are records that my ancestors have that say uh, that they came to Scotland and Ireland from the east, uh, sorry, from the west, not the east, which is contrary to popular tradition, and, uh, and, landed, and landed on that island leaving behind a deluge. And before this deluge, there's evidence uh, in almost every culture of these uh, serpent races, okay? These races that were extremely uh, highly gifted, had many uh, powerful godlike abilities in, in things of this nature. And this is also something that uh, I have been shared to be directly a part of and connected to these different lineages. And I know in one way or another, I, I'm not putting myself on some sort of pedestal or anything like that by any means, because anybody that's on this planet has connections to these, these lineages in one way or another. But more so what I'm getting at is that there's like a remembering happening, at least for me, of, of specific direct lifetimes where I was involved in, in things that happened in those places. Hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. When you, when I first read, you mentioned, uh, read that you'd mentioned the serpents of wisdom and the hidden history. One of the first things that came to my mind was Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, which is one of the the major deities within ancient Mexican Mesoamerican cultures, such as the Maya and the Aztec. But what I, what also came to my mind was the Ouroboros, the alchemical symbol of the snake eating its own tail, which of course represents many things, the cyclical nature of all things, the destruction that is inherent with all things and, you know, so on and so forth. And of course, it also led me on to the many old tales and myths that reference snakes and serpents. And if, especially if we're getting into shamanic cosmology too, and we're taking a look at the world tree, the cosmic tree, which represents the, the upper, the middle and the lower worlds. There is often a snake coiled around the roots or coiled around the, the tree itself, encircling the tree, consuming its own tail. And one example would be in Norse mythology, where the Ouroboros is consuming itself around Yggdrasil, the great world tree. So I'm certainly interested to hear your take on that as well when it comes to the, the wisdom of the hidden history of the serpents. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up and, and pointed that out. Sorry, just getting uh, somebody had just messaged me. I was getting that uh, off of my screen. That was kind of distracting me. Cool. So, 
the Ouroboros, right? In all, literally all of the stuff that we're talking about is connected on, on every level because these serpents, right? And so now we're, we're going to get into some, some interesting sort of uh, fringe uh, argumentative types of things <laughs> in certain circles and, and things like that. But like, Bring it on. of course, there's also a, 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 a connection in a lot of ways between the idea of a serpent being and a reptilian being, right? And there's so much like negative press and lore out there when it comes to the idea of reptilians and things of this nature. And I'm not necessarily saying that uh, all of that is, is wrong, quote unquote, right? Um, but what I do wanna say is there is also a definite place uh, for anything and everything that's here. And I mean that in the sense of uh, if Gaia didn't want something to be here, then it wouldn't be here. In, in I mean this in different uh, timelines and levels and things of that nature, right? The, the earth very much so has, a, ha, has control of what's going on in the evolutionary uh, agenda, I guess you would say, of the planet. Uh, that we're on. And part of the way that it's been shown to me is that, you know, as you know, uh, there is a reptilian brainstem in, uh, in, in, in humans, right? In this reptilian brainstem, of course, is synonymous with uh, reptilian DNA. And it's interesting because the reptilian part of our brain what it does is it allows access to uh, our motor, our, our motor function. A, a lot has to do with like our autonomic nervous system, where things just happen uh, whether or not we want them to. It like keeps our heart beating. It makes sure that uh, you know we don't fall on our face while we're walking and, and things of that nature. There is also uh, a certain sort of evolution that can happen, whereas this same portion of our reptilian nature that makes sure that uh, trauma and programming and things of that nature stay, stay, uh, stay working property, properly, let's say, right? Like, it's like if, if we were like uh, abused as a child, that reptilian aspect is what stores the trauma in our system so that every time that somebody looks at us in the same way or swings at us or something like that, we, you know, we kind of flinch or something, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also that aspect that once we transmute that trauma in that programming allows us the ability to become co-creators and become multidimensional, be able to transcend time when we can actually bring ourselves into that state of trance going into alpha, theta, gamma, things of this nature, right? We have to actually uh, engage or disengage uh, that reptilian aspect of our system to be able to go to those places and levels, right? It's also the area of our brain that essentially keeps the, the program running, like the words and things like that. In Egypt, there was, uh, it is called uh, Sebek or Anubis, right? And Sebek or Anubis 
was synonymous with the, the uh, Bronson-Wernke aspect of the brain. And this, uh, this aspect of the brain is essentially the aspect that accepts commands like a dog, right? And AKA Anubis, and also connects to the reptilian aspect of our cells, right? So to make sure that the, the motor nervous, some, nervous system functions keep going repeatedly. Well, it also takes a lot of energy to keep those things in place, right? To like, uh, to be stored in that system in a way where, uh, you know, we just kind of bl blindly react to things, especially if we didn't necessarily consciously choose to put that program in there, to put that trauma in there, right? But we can also take command of that aspect of our systems in a way where, so now, and, and this is actually a lot of what goes on when people are like, uh, you know, I saw this reptilian within this being or something like that, right? A lot of what people are seeing in that state is their own reptilian nature and the, prom the trauma that they have is being triggered by another individual essentially putting them into a victim type of mind state, right? Because they are a victim in that moment because they have some sort of resonant trauma or programming that makes them go into flight or flight or like a PTSD type of episode where they now see this reptilian aspect of this other being as somebody that has power over them or has control over them or is essentially, a, you know, uh, an all-powerful elite that can dominate them or something like that, right? And I'm not bypassing the reality of that moment because in that moment, that experience that they're having is 100% real. Mm. And there is also a way to transcend that frequency where you become a co-creator and you are no longer in a state of disempowerment from that other being, right? And so now I'm, I'm gonna rewind it all the way back to, we we're talking about these, um, uh, the serpents of wisdom and how they relate to, as you said, or, or, Aurora, uh, Aurora Borealis, <laughs> or no. Well, that's what's interesting, Ouroboros and Aurora Borealis, right? Mm. So this is the interesting connection here, right? So, Within our DNA system, we have blood plasma, right? DNA are serpent spirals, okay? That's what we have going on. And in the ancient uh, traditions of many different cultures, there's the idea of Quetzalcoatl. There's the idea of, uh, I'm sorry, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, and also uh, the, the return of the rainbow race the return of the rainbow serpent, all of these different things are different cultures. What are they all talking about? They're all talking about this evolutionary process that's happening within the human genome. That's literally, we're in the middle of this, you know, is exactly why people are like, oh, the prophecies are coming true. Eagle condor prophecy, all, all these, all the prophecies are coming true. That's the thing is because they've all 
then tapped into the same thing, which was a memory from these Atlantean Lemurian times that was forgotten. And then these different programs were enacted that seemed like oppression, but that were also simultaneously a higher dimensional, higher level of uh, evolutionary intention from Gaia, from the universe, right? To put us in the seat of being these multidimensional galactic sort of traveling beings, right? On the level of Aurora Borealis, right? Now we're talking about the serpent eating its tail, right? Is essentially when we've got ourselves in this state of uh, continually kind of in these trauma loops, right? Mm. These loops of uh, these feedback loops where we're just like, like I said, running into this uh, reptilian being or something that's like shocking us into the state of flight or flight. But then there's also this other level that we can get into. Again, that's the spiral, right? And it's not just the serpent chasing its tail. It's actually uh, two serpents. And this is, you know, something that you can even see like in, um, in like the Shipibo. The Shipibo have these tapestries. They do these beautiful pieces of artwork where uh, they have these mandalas of these uh, complex Icaro languages and things like that. And in some of them, you see a serpent chasing another serpent. In some of them, you see them coming up together, right? And so it's just this slight difference of chasing the tail versus becoming a co-creator. Mm. <clears throat> I'm just taking a look back at my tapestry back there, which uh, <laughs> was Shipibo textile with the serpent on it. Yeah, it's in so interesting to tie all of this together and see how it weaves in. And when you were speaking about this evolution that we're going through, I was getting tingles in my body coming up. And obviously, you're speaking to one of the ways in which we can assist ourselves going through this evolution, which is through the use of entheogens. And before I would love to ask you about your relationship to entheogens and also the red road. Is there anything else that you think would be beneficial to touch on when it comes to Celtic or Druidic shamanism? And the reason I'm asking is because there are so many of us with partly or full Irish backgrounds that do get drawn into these other cultures because we don't have a reference point to our bloodline ancestral lineages because a lot of it has been lost. There isn't a lot of knowledge there. So we see these kind of glimmers or these sparks of the sacred within all of these other cultures, especially cultures that are still, that still have that essence of honoring the sacred in particular through using entheogens. So, you know, there's that want, that desire to reach out to those cultures and to latch on rather than go, okay, what, what is my culture and what can I find out about that? And of course, the Druids, they're shrouded in mystery, especially when it comes to a lot of their esoteric and their shamanic knowledge. So is there anything else of importance that you would love to share regarding that right now? Absolutely. And especially in relation to uh, what you said, uh, you know, in the little bit before about the, the Aurora, Borealis, Aurora Boris and, 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 and everything. Um, for anybody out there, uh, a that you know wants to get into these connections or feels the type of call to these lineages and, and everything. First of all, I want to say definitely feel free to reach out to me. 
Uh, you know, I wanna, wanna put that out there. Second of all, I want to say the number one thing that I can recommend is working directly with trees, okay? And I say this because, and this is something very powerful that, that was shown to me as of, as of recently, is that the trees are literally synonymous with, with stars, okay? In this as below, as above, so below type of nature, uh, different star systems are related to different species of tree, okay? And there is literally, uh, you know, it's, it's no mistake that the wand, okay? Uh, the wands in the tarot, right? You know, the ones in the tarot are actually uh, alder trees. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I'm sorry, sorry, not alder trees, ash trees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, interesting, I'm in Asheville, right? Um, it's, a, it's literally a, a city full of a ton of ash trees. Uh, but it, it, was, it was known to be the one because the ash tree burns the hottest of all the trees, okay? And there is many, many, many complex layers when we get into what the trees are, the, the, the purposes that they, that they hold here, what they do, right? They're literally taking and collecting the leaves uh, are collecting uh, celestial light, drawing it into their system and vibrating out aspects of this reality, right? Those, the leaves are literally like uh, parts of the antenna. And it's also literally the nervous system. I was shown that the tree systems on this planet are the sympathetic nervous system. And the mycelial system is the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the way that these two things work together. Just like in our system, we have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And so the trees are performing these functions of different moving and bringing in different celestial light and allowing them to be present on the planet. And uh, this is also in part why we saw so much intention of clear cutting so many forests, right? And we saw this movement from uh, like hemp based paper and clothing and things like that. And all of a sudden we moved into where everything needed to be paper from lumber and things like that, because there was a, a group of beings on this earth due to the damage of their psyche and the trauma that they had experienced and things of that nature that put them in a, let's say, giving them an agenda to wipe out a lot of uh, background and information that is contained in the in the trees. So what I would say is just, you know, as just a simple thing, just go out and sit with the tree as you would any other individual, a person, right? And literally just open your heart to connecting to anything and everything that that tree wants to send you, teach you, show you, make you feel whatever it is. That would be my number one uh, piece of advice to anybody that's interested in a druid background. 
Um, and like I said, I, I am uh, working on putting a number of different things together to kind of like assist people in like turning what I'm learning into some sort of uh, like a process, uh, classes, coaching. I don't know. There's just so many words out there nowadays. Basically, like if people feel called, I want people to be able to kind of like share in a certain aspect of what I'm learning. And then to kind of rewind back into your other question, entheogens. Um, that's, that's basically, unless you want to add something, uh, that's, that's what I have in terms of the Druid thing. There's not too much more than I want to add, but I certainly know that I've come across during research into Celtic Druidic lineages that they certainly had an affinity for gathering in sacred groves of trees in particular oak trees i know that that was one particular tree that they held a great affinity for and it's very very interesting because where i live we back onto a creek and while we're surrounded in a lot of the native trees around here lots of eucalypt there are a lot of oak trees that were planted i can't remember maybe over 100 years ago 150 years ago down by the creek and it has been really really interested tuning in with these oak trees some of them are grand majestic oak trees and just nothing specific in terms of esoteric knowledge, but just the energetic exchange and allowing me to tap into more of an a feeling of importance of connecting back with my Irish Celtic heritage just from spending time with those trees. So it's certainly something that is still cultivating at the moment. So I certainly resonate with what you're saying in terms of connect with the trees because they it's, it's undeniable that a lot of Every single nature-based culture had an affinity with all the plants, all the trees, but in particular, in this context, yeah, I certainly resonate with those sentiments with the druids and connection to the trees. Beautiful, yeah. Um, and just nature, of course, as a whole in, in, in general. Um, but the, yeah, the trees specifically, like, kind of, as I see it, kind of like unlock the, the doorway um, into, into that sort of background in, in lineage from, mm. from what I've been experiencing. Um, yeah. Entheogens, man, what have you got to say regarding your path and the path of entheogens? Sure. Well, um, you know, kind of tying it back into what I was talking about of, um, let's say actually do it. Do I want to go back further than that? Um, I can, re <laughs> I remember, so this, yeah, this is an interesting little story. I remember back, uh, when I was in sixth grade and, uh, in sixth grade, uh, th this is going to be really funny out there for any people that are in the States or whatever that, that may have been involved in this as well in the States and sixth, seventh, eighth grade ish, depending uh, certain areas had this class called D.A.R.E., okay? And D.A.R.E. stood for, like, Drug Abuse Rehabilitation and Education, okay? And in D.A.R.E., it was essentially this class where they taught you about drugs, okay? <laughs> and, but they, did it, they did it in this very interesting way where, you know, they would, like, they bring in this big... Uh, this big box in my class and on the box is like a board. It's like a glass box and they have like little like fake examples of all the different drugs. 
and then they show you videos about like uh, car crashes that alcoholics caused and uh, just just things just things like this, right? And I remember they handed out this pamphlet and uh, I opened it up and they have all the different drugs that they know about at the time, the major ones, you know, it's like marijuana. It, keep in mind, they plants are drugs to them too. I don't really consider plants drugs for me. Plants are sacred entheogens, and that's why I'm why I'm getting into this topic, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so you know, marijuana is on there, uh, cocaine, crack, LSD, uh, all these different things, and then I get to I get to mushrooms and DMT. And I specifically remember reading the DMT description, and it says, users purport experiences of contact with gods and alien entities. <laughs> and at this time, by, by sixth grade, I was already like, my, my first like powerful esoteric experience was like, uh, when I was like eight or something, right? Like, uh, like I had already had very like potent kind of spiritual types of experiences. I remember when I was like, I don't know, I think I was like four and I was like asking my mom all these in-depth questions about the Bible and Christianity and things of that nature. And there was this one point where, you know, I asked her some sort of question about God and she, you know, her answer was very like, did not compute for this little like starseed <laughs> baby, essentially, right? And so that kind of was part of spurring me on this quest to, to really like understand the nature of our reality. And I read that description and I just looked at it and I go, I've got to figure out where to get some of that. <laughs> and that's great. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't for many, many years that uh, I like, I actually had an experience with uh, with entheogens after after that time. It wasn't until uh, I almost like graduated high school when I started to experiment with mushrooms uh, in in other uh, plant medicines and things of that nature. But at that point, it was very just kind of like uh, I wouldn't say it was recreational, although there was a tinge of that but it was more kind of like psychonaut type of flavor to it, right? I was just like, so uh, wanting to understand, you know, I had like uh, listened to bits and pieces from people like Terrence McKenna or uh, Alan Watts or Robert Watson uh, and read books like um, the, uh, was it was a good one in particular, like, um, the, the Jaguar medicine book uh, by uh, Martin, I, I can't remember his name. But anyway, I, I had a, a familiarity with what shamanism was at that point, at least uh, South American indigenous uh, ayahuasca ghettos uh, and um, in, in healers from the, the Amazon. And uh, so needless to say, because I could find nothing out about uh, really any Celtic lineages, and I do have a small amount of, of Native American blood in me, uh, I felt really, really called and resonant to, uh, to explore that path, 
right, to, to understand it because I was like, okay, well, this feels resonant uh, inside of me that seems like the most direct connection to uh, ancient indigenous source. Like, there, you know, there's no uh, brokenness to the lineage. It, you know, these tribes are still uh, living in the same ways that they've been doing uh, for, for generations. And uh, so that piqued my interest. And then, uh, you know, I started, I, I kept exploring from that point in, in, a, in a way that was more kind of like a, a psychonaut type variety, you know, uh, in safer controlled environments and, and things like that. Um, sometimes, you know, music festivals and things of that nature. And that opened up a whole uh, interesting topic, which we may or may not want to get into, uh, was seeing the the dark side of the music festival culture, which is big in social media right now. I don't know if you've been seeing any of that about. So we have. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's some stuff going on there, which I was not directly part of, but I was definitely a sort of uh, open the corner of my third eye. Uh, a witness to which actually caused me to kind of start to run away from that scene in a certain manner, not run away, but just like, Oh, this isn't actually what I thought it was. Yeah. Sure. And, but in the same moment, that was actually a beautiful part in my journey because when I hit that frequency of seeing some of the stuff that was starting to go on in those areas, it caused me to actually just want to exit society altogether, right? And that's when I decided to go into the mountains in Northern California and start doing yoga and detoxing and meditating and really just getting into, uh, you know, just kind of like walking that sort of path and cleaning myself out and just connecting with, uh, you know, different stuff that I was already aware of but not fully kind of like stepping into that, that higher vibratory frequency. And uh, that led to my first Kundalini awakening, which was extremely powerful. And I got a direct transmission to go to Peru for December 21st of 2012. And I was, uh, I just kind of magically uh, through just synchronicities and being guided in different uh, conversations by the by essentially my higher self, I ended up on the island of the sun uh, for December 21st, 2012, which was an incredibly powerful experience. I worked with a, uh, a Kero Paco for almost uh, a year after that in uh, outside of the area of Cusco. And that led me to the Amazon jungle. And uh, I had some very potent experiences there with, um, I worked with uh, something that's called uh, Chunga. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chunga, but um, mm -hmm. that was extremely powerful. I was in an entire, uh, I, was, I was at this interesting location in the jungle. This is, you know, maybe like 2013, I think, or something where uh, the entire property, uh, a medicine man had lived there and passed away, and an indigenous man from that area, and he had planted the entire property with, with ayahuasca vine. 
and uh i was in this little hut me me and a good uh good friend of mine and he uh he shared the this chunga experience with me and at that point i had, had not sat with the vine uh directly but because of probably a lot to do with my sensitivity uh the vine came to me directly in that experience just because there was so much of it on the property and it was an extremely potent experience and was and assured me that like working with these medicines was something in my path it would bring a very high level amount of healing to me and uh at that point i've done um a I've done a lot of a, a lot of medicine ceremonies. I, I'm not like the type of person that uh, like wants to get into like a number, or be like uh, you know, because there there is actually a lot of kind of like weird energy in in the scene around like it in in certain ways. Uh, there's certain groups of people that have almost started to look at it as like putting notches in your belt or things like that. You can go. Uh, to more and more uh, ceremonies and things of that nature. Um, but it was an in integral part uh, going regularly for a while to uh, opening me up and, and bringing me a very vast amount of, of healing. And um, I'm a huge proponent of people working with these types of medicines in the right environment with the right people the right time and place and things of that but i can't uh i can't emphasize enough that there are dangers to it as well the in and what i mean by that is um you know as as you know that somebody uh you know that's in these scenes and, and worked with these medicines uh we need to be careful and people need to be careful with who they work with in, in what the situations and conditions which they work with these medicines with, because uh, although, you know, somebody initially kind of like wait, awakening to this type of environment might initially be in the state where they would think, oh, well, these are spiritual people. So all of their intentions must be much be of the utmost of importance. Or if this person is working with the sacred medicine, then their intention must be like of the highest vibration. And I wanna, you know, just put it out there that that's not always the case. And I've been personally in experiences where it was, you know, it was not the most fun type of experience either. It's not all, it's definitely not all love and light uh, as they say. And I don't, and that comes in multiple angles. It's like when we get, when you get into the real work with these medicines, it's not always easy. You go into intense places and explore uh, intense darkness and traumas and, and work through those things. And that's why they're powerful. And at the same time, there's also the dark side of the dark side where there's people out there that are working with these men medicines that have, uh, have negative intentions. So, um, and it's easy to get caught up, you know, if we're not firmly grounded in ourselves or in somebody that we can uh with somebody that we can really trust it's easy to kind of get lost in, in in the path working with these medicines too so just important parts that that i that i always add in when i talk to people about my experiences with it mm. yeah well said and i i don't know if i've ever heard that phrase before and i like it the dark side of the dark side that's good yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say on, on that note is um, the one one thing that I'm I'm really uh, pushing to to kind of get into with with people that that I work with now and things that I have developing it, which is a very big missing part that I saw when I got into different levels of medicine work is really what happens in regular life after right what happens when you know because not everybody there while there are some people that do medicine ceremonies and work with entheogens kind of like regularly in ceremony as a spiritual yeah. practice yeah as a spiritual practice there are many people though that just uh go that only have the ability to maybe go to a dieta let's say in uh in the amazon or even maybe somewhere in the states or other countries or just have a very powerful experience at a festival or just in their home by themselves maybe they just decide to plunge in and uh, explore where they need to go in, in their own self. Um, but there's not much out there about uh, when we open up to these spaces and when we sort of turn the lights on in multidimensionality, in uh, the spiritual realms and things of that nature, um, it's kind of like walking into, you know, a jungle that you've never been to before, like barefoot or something with no, you know, you're just kind of like naked, right? And there's the, you know, there's all sorts of things that can go on and that can happen. And there's not much out there at this time. The only person I'm aware of doing some good work with this is, uh, is Laura, who you had on the show. Uh, she's getting into this work. And I'm sure there are other people out there, but I'm just saying that uh, it's still kind of very like untapped territory of the kind of like aftercare slash like one-on-one uh, -on -one work for helping with a framework and uh, getting into integrating those realms and what people understand and what they see into, re into normal life, right? Because they're that's actually a part of this whole like Aquarian shift as well in a lot of interesting ways is those realms which people like you and me may explore uh, in entheogenic states are going to start to, the veil is going to become and is becoming more and more thin as we speak, as we enter the Aquarian age into where some of the experiences where we've had in lighter doses of medicine are becoming more uh of a normal day experience for some people mm. as our genetic systems uh sort of start to evolve and as we start to be able to perceive into uh these other states as as more of like um you know as a normal yeah i've certainly experienced myself that there is an increased level of permeability between well within everything that's encapsulated within this waking dimension between this totally. earthly physical reality and the what we might just label as the esoteric or the, the otherworldly yeah no doubt also on integration as well i was going to say yeah you, you, you bring up a good uh, fantastic point because as sky and helm talked about and alluded to on our recent conversation together there's often this focus on it's like this um 
what do we call it? Individual focused or ego centric focus when it comes to integration. Like we're integrating these perhaps rejected or lost or just these aspects of ourselves that we have pushed to the side. We're integrating that back into ourselves to come to a place of individual wholeness. But we have to take into consideration the larger landscape that we are actually integrating into. What what is it? What what system are we integrating into? And do we to what level do we want to be a part of that? And what else are we creating as we step back into the world? So it's integration on a much much more expansive perspective. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's like um, in that in that you know that's that's a big part of you know the the whole thing too, right? Like I was talking about how the the astrology wheel has to do with these different dimensions, right? And if we look at 12D, uh, this is uh, Pisces, this is Piscean, this is uh, Neptune, right? And this is where we get into the uh, the imagination, okay? Is imagination, dreaming, uh, lucid dreaming. All, all these are all art. These are all like Neptunian types of themes, right? And that's why the 12D is so important to becoming uh, a co-creator and a multidimensional being. And we also have to be aware that in that, uh, you know, in the artist palette of paints, in the uh, in the imagination, there are all, you know, there's the whole gamut. Like the imagination isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm gonna, let me just only show you the things that are, that are, that are good for you or, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, maybe uh, pleasurable to experience or, or something like that. That's like, you can literally see anything in those states. So I'm just kind of uh, adding in like, what you're saying, it's really important that we are really conscious of what we are kind of pulling back from those places and actually bringing into our reality. Yep. Well said. I think this is a good place to wrap things up, Thomas. Before we do, is there anywhere? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Is there anywhere you want to send people? Any websites, which I'll include in the show notes anyway, but anywhere you want to direct people right now? Um, you know, first I, I'm working on some things right now. Like the main website that I'm working on is, uh, inner, uh, interstellar.net and that's I N R S T E L R.net. Um, but I'm still working on it. Um, I've kind of got a, like an alternate kind of like Wix site going on in the background because this work has been so new since February or whatever. Um, so, you know, definitely go there and check that out. But like my, my main thing is telling people right now, just reach out to me directly on like Facebook or something, uh, Thomas Sockwitz, um, on Facebook and we can interact if you want to connect with me or, uh, you know, chat about anything that I mentioned here on the show today. Um, and soon I'll be having a lot more, uh, cool things on that website. There are some, uh, blog posts and I do regularly, Uh, take all my podcasts and things and add them onto anchor uh, FM under INR S-T-E-L-R. So you can check out all that stuff. Okay, perfect. Well, brother, lastly, just as we opened up the space, I'd love to invite you to share some words in relation to honoring the sacred and also closing up our time together. And I will leave it in your hands to whatever wants to come in 
to those palms of offering to our space and to the larger community of listeners, whether it's poem, prayer, words of gratitude, any words of wisdom that you might like to leave our listeners with, whatever wants to come through, brother. Mm. I just want to presence that we are in a very, very potent and powerful time here on this planet. And if you are watching this episode, uh, then, you know, there's a very high level reason that you've been felt called to uh, this information from Kai, this information from myself, and just know that we are all co-creators in this and that you can feel confident in the direction that the evolution on this planet is happening right now is in the benefit of all beings. It is in a benevolent direction and that we are on the cusp of a transformation that is very beautiful, is very amazing. There's so much love and support available to you and for you in this transition if you just simply honestly and innately open up and ask for that connection and that beauty and that awareness that there is love and hope present in this moment and that we are uh, on this very important cusp and we are actually all in this together despite uh, that it may seem like there's so much division. At the end of the day, we are all in this together because we are all here present on this planet. And the intelligence that is present in this planet is so incredibly vast and beyond uh, what a lot of us can even understand. And she is with us and she is um, taking care of us all. So trust in that. And I just want to give a powerful presence to the Mother Earth, to Gaia, to Sophia, and to any and all beings that are really here to assist us in this transition at this time. I want to thank any and all of them uh, that are here, and I want to thank each and every individual that came to listen to this video, to this podcast today. Uh, you are special. You are loved. And I'm so honored to be part of this podcast and to be here with each and every one of you. So thank you so much. Aho. Aho, brother. Wise and beautiful words to finish up our dialogue. Thanks again for joining me, man. Thank you so much and have a beautiful evening. And um, I will be, uh, be in contact afterwards. I want to connect with you uh, about a, couple things separate of the uh, podcast as well. Hey everyone, as we close up another episode, I want to extend my thanks for tuning into Birdsong. 
And I would also love to extend a warm invitation to say that if you value what Birdsong is all about, if you find these episodes insightful or inspiring, then please consider offering a little support in helping with the expansion and deepening of this show. There's a few ways which you can do that. You can subscribe on all the usual media channels, which includes Spotify, YouTube, or any of your favorite podcasting apps. And it is also very warmly welcomed if you share this episode with community, whether through social media or face-to-face. If you are willing to go the extra mile, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes as it helps others recognize the value in this show. And I know just how many times I have overlooked or ignored this invitation through listening to other podcasts, but having now stepped into the role of host and creator of a show, I now recognize how much it really helps with the expansion of things. So to make it easy, I've added a direct link in the description of this episode for you to leave a rating and a review relatively easily. Lastly, please check out our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash ckmedicinepath, all one word. And for the smallest of contributions, such as $2 per month, which all adds up to make such a big difference, it really helps with the behind the scenes unfolding of the show, such as website hosting, maintenance, pre-conversation research, the editing process, getting in-depth show notes written up, and all the rest of it. So... I would be stoked to have your support in that way to help assist the vision here with Birdsong. Big thank you to everyone who has offered their support through Patreon or through sharing the show with others or through leaving a rating and a review. Again, all the links can be found in the description to this episode or you can jump straight over to medicinepath.net slash birdsong for more information. Once again, thanks for being here. I will leave it at that and I'm trusting that this listening was and will continue to be as fruitful as birdsong on morning wind. I'm your host, Kayu Kiora. Blessings on the path forward and until next time, all our relations. <laughs>